foolishly uh, opened up the computer to try and get access to some information uh, about our upcoming guest yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and an upcoming seminar and a few bits and pieces. Yep. And the first Maybe thing is down under. Yep. The first thing that Google presents me with is a happy Valentine's Day Ooh. and love hearts. Oh. Do you know what that means? It means mindless, pointless consumerism Look. based around our weak spots in, in our relationships. Yeah, don't, 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 don't get Cam stuck. We do have a Wookiee in-house in the Millennium Noggin and don't get him started. Right, Cam? Yes. Yeah, he agrees <laughs> with all those things. Yeah, get on your Valentine's Day, not a well, the top of his list of uh, best days. Yeah, no. Forced into doing something. Backed into a corner. Backed into a know, corner. Buy a bunch of flowers out of yep. insincerity. Yep. Or for the Chucky's desire flowers. of a of a smothering mm. later on. <gasps> and then, That's right. Yeah, back you to need, it. You know what you need? Your schnorkel. <laughs> you need the. Sh- you need you need the, the under the bar <laughs> schnorkel. Under the bar schnorkel. A little later when the when the when the. In the bedroom. That's going to come on frame. the uh, Under the Bar product range. Mm. Welcome to the podcast. This is Under the Bar. My name is Tom. With me as always is Rawdon. Hey, yo. Now we've got a really big episode coming up. We've got the muscle doctor, Jordan Shallow, mm. coming on. And we're actually doing a, a series. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a weak spot in the Under the Bar. <laughs> one of the weak spots. Yeah, one of them. The plethora of weak spots. In the Under the Bar mainframe. Murder of weak spots. We just have never really gone balls deep into biomechanics. Ooh. Anatomy. And Accessory exercises. How can we get the bits and pieces that we rely on, our joints, connective tissue, how can we strengthen those up? The structural mm. balance structural of balance, the yep. human vessel, how that translates the, into uh, strength output and actual manifestation of yep. the, the strength you have. The human mainframe. Mm. So Dr. Jordan Shallow, doctor of chiropractics, you can look him up, the muscledoc.com and prescript movement prescription. Mm-hmm. He's got some, uh, he will, he's a bit of a genius really mm. in his own right. What I could recommend is actually, if you do go to his website, go to the videos section. Mm. He's got some wonderful uh, educational videos on mm. different movement patterns and things. Mm. And I've actually found myself, uh, you know, having now that we've spoken to him a few times, mm. actually using some exercises yeah. and copying the link of the video into ah. the program so that they can they can see understand a. The, oh, when you actually you actually prescribing these movements. Clients. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Awesome. Yeah. Really, really awesome. So he's coming on, and today we're talking about the shoulder. Okay. We're going to go shoulder, so, yeah. and then we're going to go glutes in another episode, yep. and then lower back. Our and knee, I think knees. we're going to do, then finish up with the, yep. the big lower back. Yeah. So Something that's, juicy. That's all coming up. Really, really exciting stuff to get Jordo. I mean, you like Jordo. Yeah, man. I met him in uh, San Francisco. Big fiery red beard, you know, 20-inch uh, pythons either side, massive. I mean, he's a powerlifter. He's coming to compete at Pro Raw. Mm. At the Arnold uh, Sports Festival in Melbourne, second time. So he's hoping to beat Sebastian Orab and uh, William Crozier. They came third to those guys last year in the 110 class, I think. So, yeah, strong mofo too. So, you know, uh, if this guy wasn't jacked and uh, looked like he knew what he was talking about, I wouldn't be listening. But he is, so I did. And, yeah, it's awesome. I can't wait to uh, share it with our listeners. Mm. Okay, so that's that. We'll be talking to Jordo very, very shortly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rawdon, in uh, a few weeks' time, uh, well, five weeks' time, thereabouts, we've got the evil genius Down, down Under, under yeah. 
tour, and we're going into tour. into uh, conjunction under the bar and flex success. Yep, diet smart, not hard with those guys. So uh, Dean and Lizzie, Queensland based, with a few that work underneath them. So Evil Genius down under dot com to book tickets for that. So mm-hmm. Sydney on mm-hmm. the seventh of April, and then Brisbane on the fourteenth of April. Yep. Uh, so one Saturday, Sydney, yeah, and, next Saturday up there in uh, yeah, busy. And, and, and I guess that uh, if you were to describe it, uh, we're going to uh, you know plonk uh, Broderick down at the front of the uh, on stage, and um, basically just wind him up and let him go on a variety of topics. You know, athletes uh, uh, such as the bodybuilders, strongmen, um, strength and power athletes. The, you know the the. the I guess athlete optimization, looking at the the nutrition and training concepts to go with it. So, yeah, look, I mean, I think it, it's probably uh, worthy for uh, Gen Pop and could be, uh, you know, uh, adjusted, modified for Gen Pop. So, really, it's a seminar for everyone. Um, I think it's going to be really awesome in that that Q and Q and A style format as well, where we will be pausing and uh, going over certain points that Broderick makes. Uh, uh, making sure that we all get it, you know, because basically if we get it, then the rest of you are going to get it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, slightly different feel to, to potentially what other seminars you've been to, but uh, we're pretty confident this is going to be uh, the one not to be missed. So, on the actual day, that'll be where Broderick will be going through the, the really specific mm-hmm, athlete mm-hmm. optimization stuff. Yep. Once you sign up, before you actually get to the seminar, yes. there is some prerequisite content that's uh, on biology and human physiology, physiology that yep. will make the whole day unfold and, and make a lot more sense. Basically, mm. uh, in discussions with Broderick, we all felt that mm. having a base understanding of the human body, mm. because this is Broderick's you know, decision-making process, he always comes back to the human body to, to, to think about how it actually works. You can't, you can't cheat biology, you know. It's, uh, it's, you know, once you understand that, I think uh, a lot of the other stuff uh, makes far more sense. So, um, yeah, that's, that's so really So that's awesome. his, his system of going through and solving problems, which, yeah. is, which is what Big he picture. does. And so that was a critical part of the content mm-hmm, and of the mm-hmm. day, but it, we just didn't have enough time in the day to get everything else in. No, so that's, th- that's there'll be prerequisite itself. content that's going to come out um, when you sign up, so you'll yep. get to go through that. Rock up on the day. We'll have all your food, everything yep. daily else fuel, sorted Gemma, out. Daily fuel, Gemma Daily. We're going to have Subido in Sydney, I think. Nutrition Warehouse up in uh, Queensland. I think the boys are hooking up uh, the Flex Success guys and pulling some strings up there. But we're going to have uh, Subido uh, supporting what we do here. Uh, I think it's in my hometown. I think uh, Redfern. Yes, as, uh, yeah, it is. R- R- Red Dwarf. I think uh, there's a a conference center out there. I'm actually going to check it out. I'm going to rooster up that way uh, in the next couple of days and just give it the once over, make sure it uh, gets the under the bar flex success tick of of approval. Giant um, dwarf. A giant, uh, giant red dwarf. dwarf. Uh, yeah. That was a TV Doug, show. Doug Anthony All Stars or something. Yeah. Red dwarf. <laughs> red dwarf. I think it was a no, it was no, a TV it was the show. English one. English one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Everyone used to talk about it. I never watched an episode. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, EvilGeniusDownUnder.com for all the information on the seminar and there'll yep. be some more content and stuff coming out about that. So awesome. That's think that's everything we need to know. Cool. Let's get into it. Let's have a chat with the muscle doctor, Jordan Shallow. Yes, okay. Under the Bar podcast here with Tom and Rawdon. Mate, mm. as we mentioned at the top of the show, a very exciting endeavour that we're going... Uh, we're going international today, Tommy. Balls deep into, Rawdon, and we haven't broken down, I guess, biomechanics on the program. No, nah, neither of us, us uh, yeah. yeah, we're not competent. No. Well, we're not competent in many things, but no. uh, least of all the biomechanics, origins, insertions, and 
what the shoulder can and can't. Well, you can speak firsthand, and you can certainly say what the what shoulder can't, can't do. do. Yeah, can't stretch backwards <laughs> at ninety degrees. Yeah, I know what it can't do. But we've got, um, as mentioned at the top of the show, Doctor Jordan Shallow, mm-hmm. who we know as the Muscle Doctor, mm. based in uh, California. Yeah, uh, yeah, Campbell. Campbell, California. Cam- Campbell, California. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nice one, mate. That's Not far from San Francisco, which is where I saw him when I was just over there. Yeah, and we'll get uh, we'll get Jordan to, I guess, give his own intro. But excitingly, he's down in Australia. Um, he'll be in, March. in Sydney from the ninth of at the ninth of March thereabouts, and then he'll yep. be doing a tour all around the country: mm. Sydney, Brisbane, the, the Sunshine Coast, Melbourne, Adelaide, and Perth, which will take him through about the twenty third of March. So yeah. it's because uh, he's out here uh, for the. Pro-Raw at at the Arnold uh, Sports Festival. So, um, second time competing, I think, uh, uh, at that. So, yeah, really looking forward to uh, having him out. Great. Uh, Jordo, thanks for your time, mate, and welcome to the podcast. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks. It's it's good to hear a proper Aussie accent. My wife's all but lost it since living in America, so it's nice to hear what, uh, what it's supposed to sound like. Well, yeah, that, I mean, we might as well uh, let our listeners know there is a, a, a sort of a connection. Um, so Nick Nick, uh, Nick Tate, I guess, uh, one of the uh, the guys that's been um, pushing the buttons as, uh, as a coach here in Sydney for a while, one of the, the more reputable, hard-working coaches down at uh, George Street uh, Fitness First. Hey, Nick, if you're, if you're listening, no doubt you will be because uh, Jordan's on. Uh, so there is a connection there. It's uh, his cousin's thirds, something, something, something. What's the what's the connection <laughs> yeah. there, bro? Uh, so Nick is Nick is my wife's um, my wife's cousin. So oh, my okay. wife's my mother-in-law's brother is Nick's dad. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. very cool. Yeah. And and. And I understand that about as much as I do the glenohumeral <laughs> joint now. That's, that's yeah, it's confusing. Sense. It's yeah. confusing. But Hopefully I mean, we can clarify the glenohumeral joint a little bit better <laughs> than that. Family. All right. So um, uh, obviously you've you've been down under before. Obviously for the for the like we mentioned in the intro for the the pro raw last year. Had you been here before then? Yeah, a handful of times actually. Um, yeah. Got engaged in Sydney. Uh, shelf cheese. Uh, two and a half years ago, three years ago, got Very married cool. in Naruma, which is like far south New South Wales. Um, Very cool. About a year and a couple months ago. And then uh, my sister actually lives in Brisbane. Uh, so I've been up to visit her. And um, and yeah, I was out last year in Melbourne for uh, for Pro Raw to compete. Uh, well, you're pretty much an Aussie then, really. Well, I mean, all these I'm connections. Canadians. We're basically, you guys are just Canadians with a tan, really. <laughs> yeah. And we don't say a boot, we say about. About, uh, mate. Sure. All right. Yeah, you say a lot of weird. Uh, my. There's still like a language barrier between me and my wife. <laughs> like, I just nod my head and smile because she says, like, looks pretty when she says things, but it's like, I didn't know what the air con was for like six months. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Well, the mate, air con. Well, air con. when we caught up uh, in San Francisco uh, last month, mate, you, you were nodding and uh, doing that with me. Maybe uh, you didn't understand, didn't understand what I was saying most of the time. Well, as well. you look pretty too when you're talking to you. So there's That's always it. That. It's my long locks all right so um where are we going to go first tom we're going well, to let talk about what, what yeah let's find out uh, i guess how you got into the industry jordan and um what drew you to uh, to be a doctor of chiropractic because uh as i understand that's that's a discipline that can be spread across a lot of aspects of, mm. of human physiology and so yeah if you want to just want to fill in the pieces is the passion for strength training and chiropractic and, and what led you to where you are now yeah sure um i mean growing up in canada as you do kind of fell in love with hockey first and uh pursued that at a fairly high level before um kind of 
packing it in around the age of like 20, 21 um, to kind of pursue a, a real career. <laughs> and it was just kind of a chiropractor that always kept me on the ice. But as you work your way through the profession, you realize what you just said. It, it's a, it's an all-encompassing scope of practice. So mm. you can come across, you know, some less than reputable characters in the profession, like any, but seemingly in a higher concentration than others. Uh, just something I found really effective in, in the way that um, – I sort of addressed injuries coming up playing hockey when I was a kid. And um, as I continued training to improve my performance on the ice, I, I kind of just fell in love with the process of training itself and yeah. I just found myself skipping practice to go to the gym and one thing led to another. And it was just, you know, you age out pretty quick. If you're not in the NHL or playing professional somewhere, by the time you're 18, it's pretty much over for you. So um, with that in mind, I uh, thought I'd get myself a real job. Still don't have a real job but um <laughs> i got a big diploma on the wall and a, and a big student loan to pay off but uh yeah. yeah i headed out to california after undergrad to uh to go to chiropractic college and just sort of got plugged into the pipeline of the fitness industry from there it's just the concentration of of i mean like anything uh the concentration of high level performers in almost all disciplines is so much higher uh, in california as opposed to yeah. southwestern ontario canada so um, just kind of fell into some pretty neat circles and got to work with some high-performing athletes in you know numerous disciplines, most notably powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, and just one thing kind of led to another. That as I made my way through school, just training, um, training really helped kind of solidify some of the application-based knowledge I was learning in school that otherwise would have been a missing piece like if you just read the book and went home um, yeah. but i read the book and went to the gym or mm. cut open the cadaver and then went to the gym it yeah. really kind of uh solidifies your understanding of the anatomy and the physiology when you can uh when you can kind of have boots on the ground and, and work things out yourself and get injured and make mistakes and fix them so when other people come into my office it's more of an empathetic approach of you know i've been there rather than like oh well in chapter three or you know yeah. so i cite this research study and um, it's allowed me to like scale my business up to, to dealing with these high-level athletes that frankly don't care about the research or the evidence they care about the outcome uh, yeah. so yeah it's been uh, it's been an interesting ride post-graduation I got into powerlifting starting to um, actually my office is based inside of boss barbell club so those in the powerlifting cool. uh, community will know uh, that's Dan Green's gym uh, Dan's fairly well known in the yeah. in, in powerlifting circles and especially so in australia i think one of his world records that still stands is is at a pro raw pro raw five if i'm not mistaken so yeah. sort of by osmosis of, of working with him and and getting to kind of rehab a couple of his injuries and um him having i would say a a much more positive effect on me and my training than than me having on his yeah. uh, i got into powerlifting Two years ago, June eighteenth, twenty sixteen, was my first meet, and I've done five since, and haven't really looked back. And and before that, uh, Jordan, were you um, just bodybuilding training before that? Yeah, so I mean, I knew I never had the discipline. Like I, I, I love cake, and I hate training calves. So <laughs> bodybuilding <laughs> maybe wasn't in my uh, ever really in my sights. But I liked, I liked the, I like that style of training. Even, yeah. even now as a powerlifter, I still gravitate towards volume and hypertrophy. And yeah, uh, I, 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 my goal is to look stronger than I actually am. So well, you're doing uh, a damn good. Well, you, you, you're actually for a pretty strong mofo as well. But uh, it was really interesting when, when Nick, like we mentioned at the start, 
he said, yeah, he's, he, he's jacked, he, you know, all this and all that, but, but he's got no calves. <laughs> so Nick was <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't have calves. And uh, when I was at, uh, I told you when I saw you, when I was, uh, I told Tommy before, when, when I was in pro, I was down at the Arnold Classic uh, helping the, the IFBB judge down there, the amateur shows. And uh, and I think I told you, you're, you're actually, the, I think it might have been the, the Canadian accent uh, that I picked up, but we're crossing the road and... And I remember Nick saying that you were going to be down there, and uh, and I sort of you know peered around the side while you were waiting at the the to cross the lights, and you had your massage table, so it was a tick. I mean, he's a tick. chiropractor, I think. Yeah, yeah, massage table makes sense. And then big fiery beard, yeah, he's he's jacked, yeah, he's a pretty massive. And then I looked down, yep, no calves, that that's him. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> when they when they put out the APB, that's how they picked me up. <laughs> but yeah, for our listeners, you are uh, certainly look more like a bodybuilder than a than a powerlifter. Uh, uh, well, traditional powerlifter these days, I guess. But uh, um, all right, cool, absolutely awesome. So where are we going to go from here, Tommy? So the idea is that we do a four-part series over the key mm-hmm. areas of the body. Uh, we'll go through the and shoulder, so what are we do? shoulder, yep, uh, the glutes and the hips, okay, the knees, and yep. then we'll finish off with the lower back. So I, I, I did say that everyone listening has had a problem in all of those areas at yeah. some stage in their training career. 100%. And uh, to start us off with, uh, Rodan, we're going to start with the shoulder. Uh-huh. Get that little doozy out of the way. Uh, one that's, that's the one that throws you, the, the glenohumeral. You sort of switch, you, you glaze over when, when glenohumeral is uh, said out loud, don't well, you? Well, I have actually uh, learnt more about it since yes. tearing mine mm. um, or, or tearing the, the ligament. But we'll start with the shoulder. Jordan, it's a, a critical part of the body, and, and I guess the strength and the weakness is that it's so mobile. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's it's the freedom of movement that makes it so complicated from from a from kind of a corrective standpoint too, because it's mm. pain in the shoulder is just a light on the dashboard. It's just something's yeah. wrong. Very rarely is the sight of pain the cause of pain, and that's what trips a lot of people up, especially with kind of the inundation of like the self-corrected bastard mash, the crossball foam roller, yeah. the heavy pieces of metal you haphazardly apply to yourself with the help of a friend who also doesn't know what the hell he's talking about or doing. Yeah. Just the inundation of, of body maintenance and, and all that and being a, a kind of a prevailing market now in the fitness industry. It's like a lot of people, will mm. they get away with hiding behind, well, it's just another tool. It's just another tool in your toolbox. It's like, yep. all right, well, someone please read a fucking handbook, please, before <laughs> we start operating. Like, I'm not trying to frame a house here if I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. And that's the problem with this. It's just an irresponsible market that's prevailed. It's like, oh, it hurts here? Well, I got this 50-pound steel rod. I'll just put there and all will be well. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah. the shoulder is really complex. Um, even we've oversimplified it from the gate. I mean, having a riff on the glenohumeral joint and how many syllables that is and how many people we've probably already lost. Yeah. Um, the shoulder off. joint is four joints. It's not one. And I think to understand how, you know, the main one, the glenohumeral joint of the ball and socket works, we need to kind of have an in-depth understanding of, of the other three joints and the role they're going to play kind of in the overall picture of shoulder mechanics. So, yep. yeah, okay. the shoulder is it, it's complex, but it's definitely worth knowing um, just because if you can kind of master that, um, there's some there's some underlying principles that exist in shoulder mechanics that are a little bit more abstract to understand. But if you can get them in the shoulder, you can get them anywhere in the body. Okay. Okay. Should we go through the four points, the four joints? Mm. Sure. I mean, like you'd mentioned before, the glenohumeral joint is the most commonly referenced. It's the ball and socket of the shoulder. Yep. Uh, AC, SC, and scapulothoracic. So mm. uh, in decreasing order of maybe priority. Uh, so the SC joint, 
is where your sternum meets your clavicle, right? So midline joint is considered a diastatic joint, which midline joints of the body. Uh, so think like your pubic symphysis, another midline joint. Unless you're eight months pregnant, those joints do not like to move. Yeah. Um, so by and large, a lot of people don't have issues there. Uh, usually direct trauma will do it. Um, it, but if that thing moves too far, it, it kind of lies right anterior to some pretty major blood vessels that are going to supply uh, supply the brain. So if you got an issue there, it's um, it's usually not a good thing. Um, very rarely do the ligaments of that joint allow for any level of instability that's going to manifest itself in a clinical presentation. And um, just to clarify, Jordan, before you shoot. move on, uh, where like I'm pointing at my body, Tom's looking at me, I'm pointing at my, my sternum. Is that what we're talking about there? Yeah, so like if you like drop, go right to the top of your sternum, and you'll notice it kind of notches down. Go left, go right. Those are kind of the articulations there where the sternum meets the clavicle. Um, so that's the SC joint. That's sort of the oh, right, okay. the grounding structural framework of your shoulder. Um, so and again, it, it very rarely is that going to be an issue, but something to be considered um, as part of the overall the complex of the of the shoulder girdle that's kind of where it all starts okay uh then building out from there so if we're, we're going to landmark on ourselves uh follow that clavicle out until we meet the acromion process or the point of the shoulder the ac joint yep. with you know, aussie rules and rugby and all the other crazy shit you guys get up to this yeah. one is probably more um probably more not like widely understood but more um clinically relevant so the uh, the AC joint is, if you ever have a side-on impact, it's usually the AC joint that's going to take the brunt of of the force. Mm. If you think, like, if I if I come at you right from the side and tackles you, that ball and socket, the glenohumeral joint, yep. that is going to be just impacted, right? The, yeah. the, the actual structural there. stability of that joint, exactly, is, is very stable. But the AC joint is where you're going to... This is the difference between, and this is where a lot of people listening, whether they're physicians or or patients that are going in with shoulder pain the difference between a separated shoulder and a dislocated shoulder is going to indicate what joint you're referring to a lot of people just haphazardly will use one term instead of the other not realizing that when i hear separated shoulder i'm thinking ac joint so where that acromion process like that point tip of your shoulder meets the clavicle yep. if you separate that that can be a lot bigger long-term of an injury or more difficult to rehab than a dislocated shoulder which is the ball and socket losing articulation so yeah, separation man. ac joint glenohumeral joint dislocation yeah i mean the dislike that's easy you just hit it against the wall and pop it back in but the uh, <laughs> the yeah. the other one the the separation uh, sounds tricky that does sound sounds tricky. painful well, then the reason being Chronic. that it is so tricky and it usually lingers for so long, and it's this is a principle that we'll cover in depth across pretty much every main area of the body that we're going to look at, is yep. the difference between structure and function, right? So that AC joint is held up with structural stability. So it's ligaments that, that sort of bridge the gap to maintain the integrity of that specific joint, the AC joint. Yep. Now, ligaments are going to be a lot different than tendons, where tendons sort of relay the strength and, and or the tensile strength from a muscle that can be trained, ligaments are inert. Like I can't say, you know, I want you to contract your your trapezoid ligament or your your conoid ligament or whatever. You just can't do it. So when there's an insult to a ligament, we've lost structural stability and that can be something that can be very hard to regain. Okay, okay. I'm starting to get a bit of a picture here, Tom. I might be learning <laughs> something. This is yeah. good. 
So we start at the, I guess, uh, underneath the throat there, Rawdon. Yep. And that joint's really stable. Not mm. much to... No, nah, not much goes on there. That's this all right. One. You need a big hit there to, to knock and that one out of If you do, it might get the jugular. Yeah, and then we slide across to the top of the shoulder and we start to get... Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, would, that would bony be prominence there. Bony, but um, reasonably stable. But big trouble if, if that one goes. Separation. And then you move down to the actual ball and socket. And then... Glenohumeral. The glenohumeral. And we get a bit more function. But uh, mm. uh, that one could be knocked out of place pretty quickly as well. But... Well... You know, it depends. It depends what angle Jordo uh, claps you from the side. You know, if it's straight on, it's just going to be compact. You know, impacted in that uh, that that uh, the ball and socket, Tom. Yeah. Okay. Not so bad. All right. Right. And then there was a. Did we cover all four there? Because he said there were. So we got three there, didn't we? Yeah, kind of strategically over overlooked. So we'll bypass ball and socket because we'll cover yep. that kind of ad nauseum later. The last one would be the scapulothoracic joint. Yes. Um, so it's kind of a pseudo joint, but where the actual scapula meets the rib cage is going to be considered a joint in itself. Um, and in dealing with addressing um, any sort of functional or structural imbalance, this is kind of square one, more or less, of where you want to start in in assessing the the, the function or the structure of the shoulder. Is starting with how does the scapula articulate with the rib cage? Um, so. I mean, kind of flipping gears here from kind of covering the anatomy to kind of covering maybe an assessment. Yep. If the scapula lies on the rib cage, then the position of the scapula is beholden to the position of the rib cage. But the position of the rib cage is going to be dictated by the positioning of the thoracic spine, right? That's literally the, the differentiating criteria for thoracic vertebra as opposed to their cervical, lumbar, or sacral counterparts. It's, it's going to be its, its involvement or articulation with ribs. So, I mean, postural syndrome, if you're sitting down, right? you know, you're nine to five, kind of internally rotated shoulders, and everyone's like, everyone tries to assign a single reason or dysfunction or imbalance or immobility to why their shoulders are in pain or not functioning properly or not positioned properly, yeah. where a lot of, it's impossible to just have one value that you fix that's going to improve the overall function of your shoulder because each step along the way um, working from the thoracic spine out into the glenohumeral joint will have sort of an uh, anterograde and retrograde effect on the mechanics of the joint above and below it or before and behind it kind of thing or uh, before and ahead of it so okay. uh, a lot of people are like oh i'm you know my pecs are tight or my traps are tight it's like well if that's the case then that could be a a overlying or an underlying contributing factor to your shoulder dysfunction or your pain um but if that is also the case then it's also having an effect on uh, the strength of your lower traps or the ability to extend your thoracic spine or the stability of your external rotators or the rotator cuff. So okay. um, I think of what we should do is maybe take kind of a four-point approach to improving mechanics of the shoulder, whether it's for performance without pain or whether you have pain looking to improve kind of four points along the way. That's more or less going to be a catch-all if your pain or lack of performance is purely functionally based. And even if there is some insult to structure, the goal should always be to improve your function to outrun your structure, right? Like a lot of people, they're very quick to get advanced imaging, MRIs, x-rays, what have you, where it's yeah. like, is the result of that image going to change how you initially address the treatment protocol of the shoulder? If you haven't attempted to outfunction the bad structure, 
hypothetically saying there is bad structure, then there's really no point of pursuing a more invasive approach until you've actually took it upon yourself to improve the underlying or potential underlying structural or functional imbalances that could exist if you are in that much pain. Okay, okay, okay. And so I get from that, it would rarely be one joint that's the issue. There'd be multiple joints that are probably need to be addressing. And um, before we we go balls deep into, um, you know, a a far more comprehensive approach, we need to sort of dot I's and cross T's and make sure the functionality of of all the joints is is there before we um, start somewhere else, I guess. Yeah, and it's, I mean, starting from the, the inside out, and it seems like a very chirocentric way to go about it, but if someone who doesn't really practice like a traditional chiropractor, I can still tell you that the fundamentals of shoulder mechanics are going to start in the upper back, in the thoracic spine. I mean, if we can't get adequate extension, and this is kind of the, the first clearing test or graduation as far as like range of motion that we should be concerned about is getting our shoulder or getting our thoracic spine into extension first. As we mentioned before, is if the position of the glenohumeral joint is dictated by the scapulothoracic joint and the scapulothoracic joint is an articulation with the ribs and the ribs articulate with the thoracic spine, then the thoracic spine itself has to have an ability to extend because that way we can fully train the ability of the muscles of the scapula to retract and depress. Yeah. Okay. So, Right, Tom. So far. Yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom just looked like he was going to say something before, and I cut him off. What were you going to? I've got a couple of questions, there? but we'll just just on the thoracic extension. So, Jordo, would you? Are you saying then that most, if someone is presenting with a, a shoulder issue, most probably there's an underlying problem with thoracic extension? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like speaking in absolutes, absolutes but no, I think but the underlying principle is start there start there right we'll start there and work our way out if we can clear thoracic extension if we can you know if they maintain a good posture because the the reason this sets the stage for yes uh the muscles of like the the scapula that are going to retract and depress yep Um, because if we're if we're flexing the thoracic spine and we sort of have this this course set for our scapula based off a increased posterior convexity of the rib cage that's going to send our scaps kind of into elevation and protraction which is going to lead to that internal rotation then the muscles are are set at a disadvantage like the the lower traps and the rhomboids because they're constantly kind of under duress and have an inability to fully shorten yeah so think of the scapula almost like um like residing on two axes. Okay. So there's like the elevation and depression, right? So if you shrug up and depress down, yep. that's like, a, let's call that a Y axis, an up and down axis. And then retraction and protraction are gonna exist through a Z axis. So, you know, uh, you're pressing forward on like a, maybe like a serratus plank or something and you're pushing that scapula forward, that's protraction, let's call that positive Z. Retraction, you're finishing a, a seated, uh, cable row you're trying to squeeze the shoulder blades together let's call that negative z now in the realm of like good posture and improving performance you want to really train the ability to go negative negative so depress and retract right yeah so to get into that lower quadrant of the two axis of the of the scapula's ability to move um and i mean it's it's roughly speaking and there's a little bit more fluidity than than what i'm alluding to using this analogy but by and large it works um so what happens when we set that trajectory for the rib cage into that like flaring posterior convexity the the way the muscles work the tensegrity model of the body is going to pull us positive positive it's going to pull us into elevation and protraction Mm -hmm. which 
in I mean even now sitting in your chair you kind of roll your upper back forward and then try and try to retract and depress your shoulder blades then in that position with the same intent extend your upper back and see how much further those scapulas can retract and depress so it's almost as if like if you were trying to train uh, like a bicep curl so we'll, we'll go to like a uniaxial joint working through a single plane it's like if I if I want to train a muscle that that flexes the elbow, I want to start from a fully extended position. So mm -hmm. as we get our upper back into extension, this will now free up a range of motion to train through the full axis that we're trying to get through into that negative, negative quadrant. Um, so making sure that, so you'll see this a lot almost like in, in commercial gyms or kind of in lesser initiated lifters where it's like they try and keep a very rigid neutral upper back the entire mm -hmm. time they do like a cable row yeah. where they won't allow for a full protraction which is tantamount to not allowing for your elbow to go into full extension when you do a bicep curl. It's like, well, why would I want to do a partial rep if I'm trying to train the full arc of the motion? So keeping full protraction while keeping a neutral lumbar spine can be difficult, but the idea of full protraction under load, that's going to eccentrically load the muscles that we're attempting to train. And then as we retract, we want to extend the upper back to retract and depress the shoulder blades. So kind of one leading, like a segue into one into the other would be you want to increase thoracic extension for the ability to train a full range of motion of the muscles that are going to uh, kind of balance the position of the scapula to keep them from going up and out and allow them to kind of come down and in. Fascinating, Tom. So maybe a little protraction there when we're doing those rows is a good thing to take yeah. the muscles uh, through an entire range of motion. And so, Jordo, so you'll start. Let's check the, th the thoracic and see if, that's the, if that base is working well and underpinning a mm. solid foundation of the shoulder you can then move on to your next checkpoint yeah so from there then it's going to be so we clear thoracic extension or we ad at least acknowledge its importance in the continuum of addressing shoulder mechanics because yep. none of this is going to be a shotgun or like a silver bullet approach yep. it's like we're yep. not gonna have to do this once um but it, we can basically like i mentioned to you before it's like a lot of people will say my shoulder hurts because of X. It's like no, no, no. It hurts because of X, Y, Z, and Alpha. Like it, yeah. it, it exists because all, one of these four things is maybe an overlying or a, like an underlying contributing factor. But say in that equation, that's twenty-five percent or thirty yeah. percent. It's like well, yeah, we can correct that thirty percent, but we're still going to have residual deficiencies in the other values that we need to improve upon. So, um, increasing the thoracic tension first, or at least getting the buy-in of the importance of a, a prolonged attempt to increase thoracic extension so we can train the next step, which is going to be that scapular retraction and depression. Because that's going to be, this is going to be kind of the, where it gets a little bit less abstract because the position of the scapula is going to be, uh, it's going to be responsible for basically 60 degrees or at least one third range of motion of our full range of motion in every range of motion of the shoulder. So if we think about, if everyone right now raises their head, puts their arm over their head, shoulder full flexion, let's call that 180 degrees, right? So sitting here at my kitchen table, my hand is in the air. The common yep. thought is that this 180 degree position, this hand over my head, is coming entirely from the position of this ball and socket. That, that there's just a full arcing movement of that articulation of the glenohumeral joint yep. when in actuality if you as you if you slowly go through so put your arm at your side and slowly start to go through you'll notice at about 120 degrees your shoulder blade starts to kick in 
So yeah, as you yep. sort of just break parallel and your hands sort of be parallel with the floor, now your scapula has to accommodate to set a trajectory for that full flexion position. So yep. one third of every range of motion of the shoulder, I mean, the full flexion is the most apparent, but try and put your hand behind your back like you're getting cuffed by the cops. It's the same thing, internal rotation and adduction of the shoulder, you'll notice your scapula starts to elevate and protract yep. to set that trajectory for that shoulder movement to happen. So the the position of the scapula is is really important in clearing up those end ranges of motion because guess what that's where most people feel pain you know when the bar is at their chest or when the hands in the full overhead position so yeah. it's very rarely is it the ball and socket it's more so the trajectory set by the socket or the deficiency of that ability for the socket to set a trajectory to get into those end ranges of motion okay yeah that okay. makes total sense yeah I mean, that was a good and, example you gave there as well. We could, I could definitely feel the scap sort of kicking in and yeah. coming around. And it's quite a subtle distinction to make between thoracic extension and scapular retraction and depression. But that little uh, that little arm exercise, taking it through the full range, really creates the distinction. Yeah, and that honestly, from a from whether it's a, a you know whether you're coaching a, a client for a, a bodybuilding show or you're you're rehabbing a patient from an injury or you're you're consulting someone just on general diet, buy-in is going to be, in my experience, the biggest thing. So it's like you got to have proof of concept yeah. for people to stick to the underlying principles that are going to get them better. Now, a, a lot of people just go do it because I said so, but dealing with a more intelligent population or people that are looking to be high performers, like. There's got to be steel in the walls of the explanation, so that yes. little visual cue I think really helps uh, people buy in because none of it's none of this is glamorous. Like fixing pain is not nah. a fun endeavor, but if you're serious about being a high performer and this is your rate limiter, you will program these corrective exercises or the drills necessary to improve these rate limiters. You will program that with the same enthusiasm and vigor that you would you would program a, a bench press progression or yeah. a squatting workout. Because if this is really what's going to trip you up at the end of the day and be the re, be the difference between second and first, the good athletes will look at this and be like, "Okay, this is what I have to do," is, and they'll go important. out and they'll diligently do it. Yeah, hundred percent. Or you know, if you can in any way tie the process back to the greater goal, the the reason the person is there in the first place, mm. that's where yeah you get yeah. that you get the buy-in and you get compliance. It's no different from Rod and what you do with your uh, with your competitors, mate. You know they very it, similar. They <laughs> totally bought <laughs> bought into the process because yes. other why else would they do it? Exactly. You know exactly. Okay, so All we right. go from uh, scapular retraction and depression. Where's your next maneuver, Jordo? Okay, so the, yeah, the two we've covered, the thoracic extension and then the position of the scapula. Now it gets a little bit more, it gets easier with buy-in because we're actually addressing the site. What they seem to, exactly, the site. What they seem yeah. to see to be the obvious issue. So uh, even then we'll have brought them to a point of improvement that you'll already start to see some of the underlying pain or, or dysfunction or, or decreased performance start to clear itself up. Yep. That's why I like to get get the binary stuff out of the way first. Granted, I think it, it only follows a, a logical progression as far as how the shoulders are gonna move, um, but it's like if you can get them, get them to adopt this quick and then we can work out to the actual site itself. It's like, it's almost, it's like your parents grinding up vegetables in your, in your spaghetti sauce when you were a kid. It's <laughs> like, at that point, they're already in there, now this is like, oh, you eat it, you don't even notice that you're, you're making the other requisite steps that are probably more important because they're the ones that are more commonly overlooked. 
But then if you can get them into good positions to fix these next two steps, they're going to be way further ahead of the curve than if they just started at the site. Yeah, um, yeah. So the, the bottom two are, or the last two into this are, are pretty much just agonist antagonists, right? So it's going to be just balancing the glenohumeral joint will be the overarching topic of the next two, uh, the next two kind of subsections of the shoulder mechanics where it's now it's we're going to try and inhibit the things that are going to internally rotate our shoulders and we're going to try and and i'm choosing my words very carefully here stabilize the muscles that are going to externally rotate the shoulder uh, and i notice i said stabilize instead of strengthen yeah uh, this will be one of the underlying principles that we see a few times in this series um especially when we start talking about um, hip knee and sort of the low back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the common mistake is people look to strengthen the rotator cuff which there is a there is a need for that and there's a purpose for that but if we think of like uh the axis of the body uh rotation is not something for the most part that during the run of the day is beholden to gravity right like our biceps and our triceps have to overcome or oppose the gravitational forces our hamstring and our quads the same but muscles that move around like a helical axis don't really have to worry much about exerting too much force that that force production is not going to be met with much resistance yep. rather that muscle group is meant to resist force and that's the difference between strength and stability is strength is the ability to exert force but stability is the ability to resist, resist force, force. Yes. and that's where so i mean balancing out the glenohumeral joint let's start from the front so pecs everyone usually addresses pecs or biceps or anterior delts so the muscles that they think are going to draw them into that rolled shoulder position um honestly what i find and again this is because it's a road less traveled in the rehab space is the role of the lats as internal rotators if i was trapped on a desert island and could bring one stretch with me to help balance out or um, mitigate the forces that are going to internally rotate my shoulders i would start with the lats first um, from a clinical standpoint, it's just most people think because the pecs and the lats, you know, chest and back day are opposites or push and pull day are opposites that there's going to be opposing function from the lats as well as they do have that anatomical opposition and positioning in the body where it's like yep. they actually do share a lot of similarities in muscle action, most particularly in, as it pertains to this internal rotation, right? Think of, think of a front relaxed pose for a bodybuilder. Where are his shoulders internally rotated? Are his lats contracted? You better believe it. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. role of the lats as an internal rotator um, in a kind of casting us in that poor posture position that could be potentially causing us pain or um, decreasing our function, that's usually where I'll start with people because that's usually the last place that people will look. Yes. Okay. Okay. You're going to delve uh, balls deep into that one? Or will no, I I'm, I'm just going to say, Jordan, that you're doing a great job. Yeah. Because it is actually starting to make sense to me. Like the, uh, the the reason why, and probably you're the same, Rodden, why um why we shy away from this is because there is we know enough to know that it's not as simple as side of the pain is the pain. But the world of other options that that knowledge opens up is just too confusing to, to start to delve into. But the um the the basis of the foundation that Jordo's setting here is uh, is actually making making sense to me in terms of the the overall picture yes. of, of what's going on. Yeah. And I would I would if I was going to get my shoulder treated, I would want the person to go through this process knowing what I now know. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I think that big picture, taking a step back, okay, let's let's just look from the outside in. It's starting to make uh, far more sense to me as well. Yeah. So, Jordo, uh, we were up to the um, we're up to the lat, stretching out the lat. Yeah. So I mean, just the lats roll the internal rotator, and it's and it's not it's nothing groundbreaking. It's just I you, you accumulate enough data points in practice or in programming for people's rehab online. And one thing you know to avoid redundancy, you want to see what they're already doing to address their imbalances, the perceived imbalances, what what the WebMD has told them to to go after. Like, what's the low hanging fruit? Like, what are most yeah. people what are most people doing? A, but also what are most people not doing? Uh, and I find, you know, the the obvious, you know, the treating the site of pain will lead people to like, oh, it's it's my pec, it's my anterior delt. And it's like, okay, let's if we've tried that and we haven't gotten any kind of purchase on that, let's let's now go down the line of other muscles that will have a similar action. And just most people don't consider the lats role as a strong internal rotator of of the shoulder. So I usually kind of start there with the presupposition that most people have already kind of attempted to pick off the low hanging fruit as far as uh, conceptualizing the issue and then addressing what they think to be the cause of the pain. Um, So usually last is the internal rotator. Um, I mean, morphologically speaking, we're so dominant in internal rotation. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the pecs will internally rotate, the lats will internally rotate. To some extent, the the biceps and the anterior fibers of the deltoid have have an intent of internal rotation of the shoulder. The subscapularis is an internal rotator where it's it rattled off a lot of muscles. And then to look to the counterpoint of that, there's three. You could make a very granular argument for four muscles that'll externally rotate the shoulder. So I mean. The rear delt, which most people don't know how to train in isolation anyway, so yep. and that's a muscle that needs to be more or less strong, less so stable. Uh, so the two that I focus on um, from a opposing the internal rotation is going to be the infraspinatus and the teres minor. Um, now the problem with this is most people go the strengthening route, and even if they can get that right, so I mean, how many times have you walked into a gym where and you've seen people grab? you know, two and a half kilo plates and they just kind of put one in each hand and they just start flapping their arms around. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. So it's like, that's, that's the thing where it's, that should be a red flag there that we're not, we're not undergoing or putting that muscle under tension because it's not, if anything, that is an isometric brachialis, um, yeah. c- contract your elbows in resisted flexion while you, the resistance through rot- the rotational plane is, is non-existent. So, yep. uh, starting there, you know, some people will be a little bit more switched on and they go, oh, okay, no, I'll use a band at, at elbow height and that'll resist the rotational component. And that's that's fair, that's fine. And I think there's a place for that. I mean, I don't want to fully outrule or uh, override the, the importance of strength of some of these rotator or those stability rotational muscles, whether it be in the shoulder or hip. But that is half the battle at best where those muscles are I mean, the way I like to word it is there's a difference between anatomically loading a muscle correctly. So that's loading a muscle through its action of origin and insertion, how you read it in a textbook, and neurologically loading a muscle correctly. And that's where stability plays a big factor. It's the neurological loading. It's the fact that it's resisting force rather than exerting force. Um, So we've gone through the requisite steps to get us to this position, to get the scapula in place via the thoracic extension we've inhibited the muscles that are in and in, or internally rotate our shoulders now like the thing that's going to tie all this together and help retain this good position is going to be the stability of the glenohumeral joint not so much the strength of the external rotators yep, yep okay yep. okay stability got that 
Just uh, a question on the neurological loading. I mean, I'm assuming, Jordan, that you'll probably get into this, but can you give an example of, of what would... Uh, an example of a neurological loading to actually put the shoulder or the glenohumeral joint in a position where it has to... The, the muscles that are required to resist load actually start activating? Yeah, no, I, that's, uh, that's a good takeaway to kind of uh, build off of. So um, a lot of people don't understand stability as a stimulus. So it's, uh, they'll use like, what I like is the, they'll put bands on a barbell and they'll attach like kettlebells dangling off it. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, that's sure, because we're, we're still kind of missing the boat a little bit. I like something as simple as uh, like a kettlebell bottom under press, where now that progression of weight is gonna be not a progression of resistance, but a progression of resistance pushing the progression of instability as the stimulus. So imagine having a kettlebell and it allow instead of allowing that actual bell to fall down on the outside of the wrist, we're holding the kettlebell kind of in a position where we have the handle gripped in our fist and the actual bell portion of the kettlebell is directly above our fist. Now, as this wavers one side or the other, we're going to sort of have to calibrate for that position from the rotator cuff. So it's going to be more reactive rather than uh, kind of proactive in its in its uh yep. in its kind of motor pattern um, and the nice thing with this is every time you increase the weight you're increasing the dv the potential deviation of that combined center of mass of you and the kettlebell and forcing your shoulder to have to react and stabilize because think of like what can you press overhead you know whether that's a dumbbell or a barbell pick a weight that's like 25 percent of that or 20 percent of that and watch this if you haven't trained it watch this lightweight kick your ass yep because it's it's you'll notice as and a lot of people will report when performing this exercise that their wrist feels weak like you'll get to the top of the movement and then the kettlebell will fall back in its original position of like it's laying on the back of your wrist mm. but there's the muscles that are going to govern grip strength are all from like the forearm and down into the intrinsic muscles of the hand. So why is it then in this full overhead position of the shoulder that people are reporting that their wrist feels weak? Well, it's it's the stability that's going to govern the strength output in these unstable positions from a function or from a structural standpoint. Like arms at the sides, we can kind of free form and we your body doesn't govern force production because it's not worried about any sort of rate limiting factor and stability along the way. Like if I gave you a grip strength measure and said, okay, I want you to hold it shoulder in neutral, elbow at 90 degrees, squeeze as hard as you can. And then I gave you that same dynamometer, that same grip strength measure and said, okay, I want you to hold it overhead. Even without a a measure right now, you could, you could probably notice a decrease in grip strength in that 90, uh, 90 degree elbow flexion, neutral shoulder position and a fully overhead shoulder position. Well, the yep. difference being the perception of stability that's going to allow your body to exert force past the unstable shoulder joint. So the goal over time is to allow that to build the functional stability so that when we trade off mo- or the structural stability to get into these you know, unstable positions like a full overhead, that we've built up the function to compensate for the lack of structure so that we won't have that decrease in force output past the unstable joint because the joint albeit in a functionally or structurally unstable position, will have built the requisite functional stability to allow that free flow of force production past the shoulder joint. 
Yes. Interesting, Jordan. I'm just going to jump in, Tommy. Um, would that also, because overhead, it's like, eh, I don't press anything overhead, not interested. But then would that also translate into bench press when we're, we're uh, pressing horizontally, uh, Jordan, like uh, integrity and, and that ability for that shoulder joint to stabilize will ultimately uh, affect what uh, output I can generate, you know, what weight I can hold in the the hand, and obviously the 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 poundages that I'm pressing, can can that that lack of stability actually be influencing um, the total numbers that we're bench pressing as well? So if the difference you're asking is between the full overhead to the to the horizontal press, what that that difference in range of motion, that 90 degree difference between the overhead and the horizontal press, is 90 degrees worth of potential information that could be screening us for an underlying imbalance that could lead to pain in the horizontal press that could have been screened, addressed, assessed, intervened for, and then cleared up before we ever had an issue with the horizontal movement. So it's, yeah. it's putting yourself in a very small box of range of motion that if avoiding if you're avoiding uh provocation as a method of treatment there'll be a point <laughs> where the full range of motion of the exercise becomes just that of the capability that you've trained for that full range of motion of the joint itself like when that's a one-to-one -one ratio yeah like when your shoulders can only move through the plane of the bench press uh -huh. but can't move through the plane of the full overhead yeah. it's like that's where things are going to go wrong and they're going to go wrong fast. Whereas if you can build a buffer zone of that functional stability required for a full overhead, yeah. even if it's, I mean, I'm not, it's squat, bench, and deadlift. That's what I compete at. I'd have no yeah. interest in testing my overhead unless there's some sort of strong dynamic correspondence to building strength in my overhead press and my bench press. My objective outcome is building my bench press. Yeah. But knowing that a potential burst in the pipe or a potential rate limiter to that could be a decrease in range of motion or a decrease in stability that could lead me to being pigeonholed in my range of motion of the shoulder to the point where the range of motion of my shoulder is just adequate enough to go through that of a bench press, then whenever I have pain in that position, it could have been something that I could have cleared up in any one of the 90 degrees leading from the horizontals of the full overhead. Yeah. So for me, it's it's a, you know, we're, we're taking a step out we're we're kind of projecting what our rate limiter is going to be um building stability across the board is going to be uh something that will help improve strength because it won't have that inhibitory or that governing effect now because we are in a more structurally stable shoulder position when we horizontally press yes then the demand for the functional stability will be less um, but i really think it's something that if you start to go down that vein of thought, uh, it, it's it's going to really it's going to really potentially limit your progress because <laughs> you want to be pushing the fringes of the range of motion of the joint and not relying on the fringes of the range of motion of the exercise. I'm and, just, uh, Tom, what I'm, are you looking at me for? <laughs> I'm just having a giggle. It was here. a perfectly good question, <laughs> Jordan, because basically what Rawdon's done with his training over <laughs> the years is as as the uh, range of motion has gotten less, as, as each degree between that mm -hmm. 90 degrees we've got to play with, as each degree gets knocked off, he just he washes <laughs> he wipes his hands. All right, not doing Enough. that one anymore. One, that, Tom, that, that's last one. you know my rules. One strike.
fucking they're out. If that joint, uh, you know, doesn't come to the party, yeah, only leg press now. Yeah, so that's like what knee you... flexion, leg press, do calves, yeah. bicep curls are okay. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Limited. But, uh, and and just to um, clarify there, Jordan. So the adaptation to that exercise is your brain going, holy moly, we need to really uh, slick up the neural pathway to all those little stabilizers around yep. the joint. Not so much, let's thicken and strengthen those strengthen. little fibers. Yeah, uh, I think the, I mean, the correspondence you're going to see from increasing cross-sectional area of a muscle is going to be more so seen in building strength. Uh, that's why it benefits you to put on muscle if you want to get stronger. But if the goal isn't to put on size or be strong with this it's to be stable it's mm. like you don't you don't want to catch a rotator cuff pump i guess would kind of be a, a, a lay <laughs> term of putting it it's yeah so that's why it's kind of i mean sure if you're if you're post-op or you're really entry level into um into getting into or programming for um the stability side of things whether that be stability to help uh down regulate that governing factor of instability on your strength or you're working on stability as a progression to increase mobility of the of the joint in question in this in this case the shoulder then yeah there's some benefit to being able to activate which is going to be you know your basic boilerplate external rotation yep with banded Flap. resistance or what have you flapping of arms um, yep <laughs> yes exactly uh, mm -hmm. but i think the, the the linchpin here the thing that holds it all together is going to be the integration the the app neural load that you're going to put onto it because that's going to be that's going to be the tributary out of sort of the vicious cycle that a lot of people report when they report pain the the common question i get is i hurt here what stretch fixes this yeah. and it's like we you got to get your head out of that because if you think like transient neurological perceptions can be overridden so quickly like the the nervous system has an ability to adapt much faster than that of like the metabolic conditions of a muscle or yeah. even bone or tendon right like if we think of a chronological ordering of how things are going to adapt like yeah. take someone into my office that has a really hard time standing on one leg like the proprioception shot they've never trained hip stability in their life give me 10 minutes with them and i'll give you someone that's fairly proficient in cueing that movement and doing it so it looks like they could do it without falling on their face yeah. have someone walk into my office that can't bench 95 pounds and they want to bench 185 or whatever. That adaptation is going to take a lot longer. Yeah, and it's the same thing with muscle. Like Ron, yep. if you're trying to prep someone for a show, it's yep. like, you know, I, I want to do the Olympia in six weeks. It's like, dude, <laughs> you're like, you're 60 kilos, yeah. probably not in the cards. Yeah, so, even yeah. Uh, high dose Anadrol won't get you there. And we both know that. <laughs> and Jordan, will the uh, does that neurological adaptation still require? frequency and be switching yep. it on all the time or is that a is it walking oh well now you once a uh, month you can stand on one leg now for 10 minutes you're good for the rest of your life i think it's something that needs to be screened for on a regular basis so and it's like anything it's it's understanding what your rate limiters are and then setting out gatekeepers that are going to be effective predictors for you of when that's switched on and when that's switched off yeah. just because we can make those transient those transient changes relatively quickly um it won't hurt us to test our abilities in these positions mm. when we're loading. Because for me, I have a series of gatekeeper exercises. Like when I'm squatting heavy, benching heavy, or deadlifting, there are movements I will go through and there'll be purely tests of my stability until which point I can override that perception of instability. I don't put weight on the bar. 
It's like if I can't stand on one leg, I'm not squatting 300 kilos with two. You can for, or, yeah, so you can forget about that. And it's the same thing. People are different, but I guess like almost applying the scientific method to yourself, where if every other variable in your training is controlled, then we're inputting this one new factor into the equation. We can effectively assign a value, whether it's good or bad, to whatever that new variable is if all the other things in the equation are constants. Yep. So for me, like the bottom underpress that I just described, it's like, I mean, I, I've done this soundbite so many times in my office where it's like, by the time I get to bench at the end of the day and I've seen 15 patients and half of them <laughs> had shoulder pain, I've probably done this about, yeah. you know, Don't seven or eight it. times already. Yes. I'll do it again to see kind of where I'm at. And if all systems are go, then we're good. But I'll, it takes a lot of accumulation of reps to sort of go through that addition by subtraction process. Yeah. Um, I just think a lot of people in the inter in the inception of adopting this uh, this philosophy or this uh, this kind of correction into your training, uh, there is definitely a dose dependent uh, uh, relationship. In yeah. more is better uh, because the amount of time we spend in in sort of less than ideal positions Position. throughout the day. Okay. So the 168 hours in a week, a third of those you're asleep. The other two thirds for the most part, you're hunched over a computer. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, three by 15 of a kettlebell bottom under press. Yeah, you're not really, you know, you're not doing it so much that you're doing it to a detriment, um, yeah. in my opinion anyways. Yeah. Uh, but two, think of also like skill adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. If you're attempting to do stability work and you're just dreadful at it, you need to find an adequate regression that you can overcome. It's just like building strength, where it's like if I came in and wanted to bench 500 pounds every day and I couldn't get the bar off my chest, it's like I wouldn't get any stronger. So I, yes. what do I need to do? I need to do submax work. I need to do regression or accessory movements or yes. something that can yep. build a base proficiency or strength at a submaximal level so I can build to that. So making sure that the intent is there, the execution is there, and we're, we're practicing good practice Yep. rather than just going through the motions yeah. and so will you as a warm-up to your squat stand on one leg every day every squat session or if you're Arms gonna flapping or if, if you know you've got to squat 300 kilos you'll do a little uh stand on one leg test and like oh no okay not today maybe tomorrow or mm. react that kind of fr frequency i've never i've never kiboshed a session based off my inability to tap into that transient improvement of stability yeah it's just it'll it's a matter of duration at, in the time of um it's like when i warm up it's it's a it's a series of lunges and single leg rdls and trying to really push my own center of gravity outside of a limited base of support so really how can i manipulate my body weight on one foot in a way that i'm prompting i'm prompting stability or the stimulus of instability that I can pretty much control my entire body from one hip. Because if I'm trying to extra physiologically load those hips, load them with you know two or sometimes three times my own body weight, yep. it's like I better be damn sure that I can just handle myself first before we start worrying about barbells and kilo plates and spotters and all that. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that's something I'll do independent to training. That's, you, you can catch me in the grocery store with my basket in one hand in line doing single leg RDLs and then trying to use that, use the basket to further distance that yep. combined center of gravity outside of my base of support. Awesome. I just think, you know, you're asleep and you're sitting and you're always in a, a position yeah. where your demand for stability is externalized onto some sort of apparatus. 
that it's like I can never accrue too much of this in and in my I don't even yeah. look at it for me because I I am kind of in the throes of competitive sport. Yeah. I don't look at it as injury prevention. Anyone worth their salt and anyone that's really willing to lay it all out on the platform, it's injury risk management. That's yeah. the bottom. Like yeah. I'm not promising anything. I'm just saying this is the most intelligent way to go about it. It's facilitating performance. Yeah. Uh, oh sure, hundred yeah. percent. That's fascinating in the in the one leg stuff. But uh, and we'll cover this in. Uh, we'll only get through one segment today because yeah. we've we, we got so much detail there. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you'll say say this when we go through the glutes. But 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 I think you got it all wrong, Jordo. You just <laughs> need a band around the knees. You just <laughs> oh, need a crab yeah. walk. You oh, know, halfway across the gym. A lot of people off. Crab walk across the other side of the gym, <laughs> and, and, and you're done. Easy peasy, mate. Everything fixed. Yeah. Knee, hip, yeah, for shoulder. The, for the low, low price of like fifty nine ninety nine, you can buy it. <laughs> Promo code is my links in my bio. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap things up. So let's. Uh, so we got those. Uh, what I would like a little bit of clarification to, to really drive it home. Uh, we went through some exercises. You know, the, the kettlebell, um, stopping it. You know, going falling left and right, uh, stabilizing the the, the uh, infraspinatus and teres minor. I think think you said um, the scapula retraction, depression, and, and these first couple of points of that we discussed what about uh if we uh, if if there's issues there we can't get into that thoracic extension are there uh go-to exercises that you like there as well um uh, obviously yeah, the, 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 it's, a good, it's a good fallout um as far as like takeaways uh i mean something as simple as i don't know how in tune you are with like yoga poses or something like that um like a child's pose or like a puppy dog stretch or um yep. I mean, even foam rolling over a like over a foam roller, like bolstering around like the T6 area, mid scapula, yep. kind of the apex of that thoracic curve. The biggest mistake I see with people kind of going down this route is they they fool themselves into thinking that their increase of thoracic extension is from the thoracic spine, where their cueing process is very evident that their increase of, or their perceived increase of thoracic extension is actually coming from their lumbar spine. Um, so yes. controlling the position of the rib cage kind of visually helps neutralize the position of the lumbar spine and make sure that whatever Google search you've done to increase thoracic extension is actually increasing thoracic extension and not just getting our shoulders into the overhead position from an increase of lumbar lordosis or lumbar low back extension. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you can kind of plug and play the algorithm. I like uh, like a child's pose or even propped up on a bench with like a PVC pipe. Um, in both hands so you can express supination of the wrist as external rotation of the shoulders to really help lock in the upper back. Yeah, um, yep. But again, it's more so like the algorithm that you kind of want to plug and play. But for me, those are a couple for thoracic extension that I really like. Um, and then as far as retraction and depression goes, I, again, I'm not reinventing the wheel. Um, there's a variation of face pull that I like. Yep. Um, I, you know what? I, I feel like I probably owe Charles a debt of gratitude because I'm pretty sure I got it from him years feel ago. Free. Feel free. Instead of pulling right to the bridge of the nose, we're going to attempt to to create a moment arm on the scapula using the humerus. We're actually pulling like flush over our head. And then that intent when we're loaded in that top position is that that's going to want to downwardly rotate our scapula just the way it's loaded. So like anchor a rope at shoulder height, walk all the way back, start with the start in the worst posture imaginable. Right. Start in full protraction, elevation, internal rotation of the shoulders, and then just systematically undo that entire thing. So we're getting into full flexion, extension, external rotation, retraction and depression of the scapula loaded. 
Um, so that for me, yeah. for the two missing pieces, those would kind of be my go-to. Thoracic extension, kind of the child's pose or the child's pose with the PVC, and then retraction and depression, uh, that high face pull uh, variation. I prefer the rope. A lot of people, um, whether it's limited uh, by facilities or whatever, they'll use a band. Um, I just feel like that accommodated resistance that adds the most tension at the end range of motion is kind of missing the boat because if you're yep. not strong enough or you don't have a good enough mobility, then you're you're forcing yourself to compensate by you know usually arching your lower back to appease that visual criteria yep. of pulling that mm-hmm. hand above the head. Um, so I prefer a rope just so we can keep that fixed resistance the entire time because it's more about it's more about uh, the completion rather than the contraction at that point. Um, when it at least comes to solidifying the the stability muscles of the scapula, um, yes, you can you can make the argument for muscle hypertrophy and and that that principle when it, as it pertains to that in a yeah. kind of a separate conversation. But yeah. it's very much solidifying that end range of motion that I'm most concerned about. If the listener wants to go on to actually uh, MuscleDoctor.com, there's a very good video I've seen of yours, Jordan, where you take one of your athletes. Uh, he's pretty getting ready for a comp pretty lean so you can see all the musculature of the back uh, mm. working when he's doing that high face pull it's really good oh yeah yeah uh yeah that'd be on the youtube that's uh, james hurst he's a local men's physique pro very good very yeah. good all right we're only going to get through one segment today so we're going to have to get you back get you back Sorry on which that. is which is absolutely awesome now it, let's let's just run through yeah. uh so you're coming out on, uh, I think you're at Base Gym for our local Sydney listeners on the uh, 11th, I think it is, of March, and then you work your way around the country. Um, for our listeners that do want more information, how can they, uh, I mean, if they want to work, could, do, do you also uh, coach online, powerlifting, it's it's just the chiropractic? Let's give our listeners a bit of an insight into how to, to get more of you if they want it. The best place to find me or contact me would probably be through... Uh, prescript.com so that's www.pre-script so p-r-e dash or hyphen uh, s-c-r-i-p-t so it's where I do a lot of like my remote programming for kind of you know we've really deviated more away from the the pain side of things and really towards the performance sort of as this pertains to um, you know fixing these these underlying imbalances with the objective outcome in mind of increasing performance so uh, prescript.com is where I do a lot of or where I do my programming for kind of remote athletes um, in both rehabilitation, but more so now in in sort of peaking performance. Yep. Uh, social media, I got, uh, Prescript, RX Radio, the podcast. Uh, I could. I'll send you guys the links. Um, the Muscle Doc is kind of my main Instagram page, and everything yep. kind of spins out from there. So that's at the underscore Muscle underscore Doc. Um, yep. I think that's it. I exist a lot of places online, but I think those would be kind of the high points. All right. And and what you alluded to there, the prescript we actually spoke about in San Francisco, Tommy, you might not be on the same page with that one, but it's basically uh, you can uh, submit, uh, fill out a detailed questionnaire, videos, that type of stuff. And, and jo- Jordan actually uh, remotely uh, via correspondence will, will correct all the all the imbalances and, and from a performance perspective, absolutely awesome, awesome concept. Yeah, great concept. Okay, Jordan, absolute pleasure. And, and we're okay to uh, to get you back in the studio for, for round two where we're going to tackle, was it the, the glutes? We're going to uh, yeah. do some crab walks. We're going to come in, bands around the knees. We're, while, while we're talking to you, we're going to sort of gyrate back and forth uh, across well, the, the Millennium Noggin on the Shagpile carpet. Well, and, you uh, might do that, Rodan, but I was actually paying attention, so I'll do the interview on one foot. 
Oh, yeah. Standing on a BOSU, I'll, I hope. Yeah, on a BOSU. <laughs> I'll do the Jane Fonda sideline. I'll just be kind of lit down on my side, abducting my hip the entire time. Nice. Wait, I can see you doing that. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, looking forward to chatting again uh, really, really soon. And, of course, seeing you firsthand when you do your uh, your world, kick off the world tour. Well, Australian tour anyway. Yeah, no, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, Jordan. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Thanks, mate. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, we'll talk to you. It's hot in the studio, it but I, I think I was we were standing up and doing movements and all kinds oh, yes. of stuff, and I get a bit of a sweat up. So, the, so that one was the the, the, the kettlebell up and uh, under press, and and you've actually been doing this one, uh, and it's uh, you, it's pretty good. Like, I can vouch for it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You feel that shoulder, that that uh, you know that joint, the scap being stabilised, resisting force a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's the whole bit different, isn't it? Yeah. The, that that's the beauty of the of the exercise with the bottom up press is that it's that key concept he was talking about, Rawdon, mm-hmm. is that you're not just trying to train the external rotators yes. on a cable to yep. exert force. Yep. You're actually trying to resist force. Yes. You do, and Which that's it, that's the benefit of, of the stabilization. Yeah, and it's far more carryover with what we're actually going to do. Exactly. Bar, bar, bars overhead or a horizontal when we're pressing, it's not so much. We, you know, we're not. Uh, the rotator cuff is not going through its uh, range of motion, and 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 like those exercises are. It's mm. that just stabilization of everything there, keeping it locked in and solid, so we can actually move that that way. You know, it's a bit like that an- analogy. Uh, you know, you can't shoot a cannon in a canoe. You know, like spend a bit of time, get mm. the, get that, that that big battle cruiser, and then you can shoot any any size cannon you want. So yeah. um yeah, awesome. I might I might even actually have to do some of these exercises, Tom. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Um I think the first half of that interview Rawdon, we were in danger of going too far down the um the uh well, academia. Yeah, uh, yeah yeah the encyclopedia. And then the beauty of the of the practical applications yeah. of exactly what he's talking about. Uh, and that's where the magic of uh, of yeah. these segments will be. So really looking forward to next week talking about the glutes. Oh yes. And uh, well, you and I are quite partial to a, a decent set of glutes. Certainly, uh, yeah, the, nice the hind quarter. quarter. Yeah. yeah. Top heavy. You don't yeah. want the bottom heavy glute. You know, the top heavy. <laughs> yeah. You don't want the saddlebags. No. <laughs> I can appreciate a good set of glutes. All right. Well, uh, that'll be next time we've got Jordo on. Yeah, Muscle Dork. And obviously, he was coming out, uh, I think, uh, in March or around Pro War. So just listen to the dates there. Yep. Really excited to have him out. And I will be attending that at Base Gym uh, with Baz's place on uh, on the Sunday, I think. Uh, March 11th, I think, uh, was his first one. From memory. Don't quote me. Mm-hmm. It was in the interview. But uh, really looking forward to seeing him again. As I, as I said, I did uh, catch up with him uh, in San Fran. But yeah, well worth uh, well worth coming along and checking it out. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.